Hello and welcome to Developing the Leader Within Podcast, an award-winning podcast where I interview the top players in the leadership arena and we dissect leadership, management, and career development from all angles. My name is Enrique Acosta-Gonzalez and I use my more than 20 years of experience in leadership development to dig deep into complex issues and bring you the answers you were looking for. If a topic resonates with you and you would like to explore how to overcome it, reach out to me at calendly.com backslash triad leadership solutions to discuss ways to succeed. Welcome back to developing the leader within podcast as we address leadership from different angles to bring you what you need to know how to succeed. Today, I have with me Dave Crane. Dave is a BBC-trained international motivational speaker on leadership, communication, digitalization, and the future of work. Dave has over 30 years of experience delivering engaging keynotes, moderating panels, and hosting large-scale events, and will help you boost your personal brand to become an industry icon. Dave, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you with me. Thank you, Enrique. It's, it's, it's such a pleasure. You know, when you said 30 years of experience, I'm actually 54. I've been on stage since I was about three years old. So I've got 50 years of experience, which I couldn't celebrate during the pandemic. Hey, let's have a big party. Oh, let's do it on Zoom. Not going to happen. So when I, if I said 50 years of experience, people are going to go, I don't believe you. I'd my I'd colleagues saying to me, it's not 50 years. You can't just say 30 years. It's better. But the thing is, uh, when you go on stage and you've got a microphone and you're three years old and then you go on to win national competitions and all sorts as a child performer, you know it's 50 years. And that's all stages all around the world. So um, I'm not correcting you. No. I'm just letting <laughs> off steam about being an old fart on, 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 on stages around the world, which I kind of love anyway. I'm happy. Proud of every bit. Well, I've, I've seen you speak and I've seen you moderate and, and, and all 50 years show, believe me, uh, when you're doing your, your deal. So thank you for being with me. Uh, thank you for sharing this topic. Uh, and folks, we're going to be talking about leadership and speaking. But before we get into that, uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about you. No, here's the thing. It's really hard to say who you are and what you do. Because it's like a fish looking for water. Where's this water I've heard about? Well, you're in it. No, I can't be in it. It's too obvious. So every day I'm doing stuff that's exciting to me. And it might be sitting, it might be walking my dogs, might be writing something, it might be chilling out and talking to my daughter, or it might be being on a stage. I've just had a meeting literally before I talk to you about hosting the, the Global Metacon event this weekend in Dubai. And they're expecting thousands of people. There's several arenas with big name speakers with a gaming um, competition that's going on and a number of workshops. It's, it's a big event, but it'll be over in two days. I'll be onto something else after that. And I see, you know, the Truman Show um, where every day is in a reality TV show. That's what my life is like. And I've gamified it. So every day when I go to sleep, it's like the Waltons. It's like, good night, John Boy. And that's it. Good night to everybody. That's it. Next morning I wake up. And it's Groundhog Day, different day, same me. Let's see what happens next. And I don't judge it by what's amazing or what's not amazing. I just see it as this particular episode. And it's nice if there's something that comes out of it, but it doesn't have to. Sometimes just being alive is what comes out of it, because at some point that won't happen. So I've always believed that if it was the if if I died tomorrow, 
And people say, you shouldn't say stuff like that. Oh, whatever. If I died tomorrow, I could end happily going, you know, I gave it my best shot. So I could just close my eyes and be happy. Now the people in the back of the car would probably scream as I was there, but I'd be driving that like, though. No. Um, the point is I have nothing to lose about anything I've done. I'm, I'm really, really pleased. And my achievements haven't been overnight. They've not been by accident. They've been by design. And over a long period of time, they're not that impressive. Um, but over a short period of time, put them all together, you go, wow, look at that. But there's periods of time in between stuff, you know? So it's, it's not quite the same. And I guess that's because I'm old, I'm able to do that. In fact, if I can share with you just something, I think I've got it lined up so I can show it to you. So this, for instance, I created, for, I've got a thing called the Industry Icon Program where I, I, I help people become celebrities in their industry, which is better than becoming a Kardashian if you don't really know what you're talking about. But with this, if, you're, if you do a job and you're very good at it, then this is important. So with that, I created a timeline of who I am and what I did. And this is, I won't, I won't go through all of it, um, but when I start working through, then literally there's so many pages of those things that I've done. You take any one of them, they're all related to, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. But for me, it's been six pages worth of solid everything. Starting off with, I mean, like I said at the very beginning, working on big stages with big showbiz uh, people, um, I won a, um, a competition when I was 11, a national competition. I grew up in Scotland of being, um, I, I got second place in an adult, you know, adult environment competition. I've got to be careful when I say adult competition because that sounds wrong. I was in an adult competition. We've been groomed. No. So uh, I came second place. I was about 11 years old as a singer. And it was just, I mean, I went back to school the next day. You know, so that was kind of how things were. But I feel blessed that my entire life I've done the stuff I, I love doing because I made a decision not to do stuff that other people were saying I should do because I wasn't very good at it and I didn't want to waste my life doing it. So I was lined up to do law. I went away to study law. I only chose law because when I sat with the careers teacher, she said, what do you want to do? I want to be on TV and radio. Well, you can't do that. It's not in my book. In those days, I had books. There's no Googling. Uh, and so I, I chose law because it made everybody shut up so it was like, oh I'll give me a lawyer and I'm yeah yeah so I went away studied law hated it dropped out after two years and then through long and short I ended up going to work for BBC I had to study to get a postgraduate diploma in radio journalism and so on and so forth so I got what I wanted in the end anyway um but that was against the grain of what everyone forced me to do my parents eventually said okay you can do what you want after they applied all that money for me to go to university they were like Whatever makes you happy, just don't come home or talk to us ever again. I didn't say that, but it just you feel like that sometimes. I absolutely love it. I, 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 and I was going through as you were showing the years, and and one thing that stuck out to me, and folks, uh, we, we, as we're talking about leadership, we're talking about uh, developing the leader within podcast, right? Uh, one blurb that stood out to me was I learned everything I needed to about personal development, personal development. And I tell you that one of the challenges that leaders have is investing in themselves, taking the time to invest in themselves. And that blurb just stood out to me because what it tells me, absent of you having someone teach you, you went and sorted out yourself. And that is such a, a great accolade. And, and 
not to diminish all the rest of the years that you had on there, just stuck out to me as a developer type of person. Uh, but good, so good on you uh, to have ventured into uh, ensuring that you had all the tools you needed uh, to be the best that you can. And I tell you, you are the best. I've seen you uh, and your videos and everything that you've done. Uh, you blow people away. You have your own academy. We'll talk about that later on for you to to discuss. But as we're talking about leadership and speaking, uh, why is it important for leaders to lose their fear of speaking? Well, ultimately, the way the battleground works is your ability to help others, coach people, give them instructions and communicate effectively. If you can't communicate effectively as a leader, you've got to hope that everybody has got special telepathy powers to work out what you're trying to say. Now, I'm a hypnotist by trade, but I'm not a telepath because that's just a made up thing. For now, it is anyway. Um, And so you need to be able to let people know most efficiently what it is that you want to get across. You also, as a leader, when you, so there's the leading the troops bit, whichever it goes into industry just as easily, but there's also a fact that when you want to close deals or you want to market, you need to be able to speak effectively. Otherwise, people miss the message. Look look how many times you look, I mean, if we take any given headline, whether it's got Elon Musk in, it's got Donald Trump in, it's got Biden, it's got Putin, it's got, how much of this is miscommunication that when it gets amplified, becomes a real deal. So much of the news is like that. The Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing, which is ridiculous, which is being amplified beyond, they're just two dysfunctional people who don't get on, should have divorced and shut up about it. That's it. Anything else, anybody who's been in a relationship has done bad things, not quite on somebody else's pillow, but it's about ultimately the communication has been things. So there's those two elements of it. So there's, there's letting your team know what's going on. There's also your ability to communicate to to people about what it is you do, but also the ability to stand on stage and talk. If you can stand on stage and stage now, like we're doing, is is a podcast or a video cast, or it could be a hybrid, so you're speaking on a a live stage, but it's being streamed. If you can do that, then your your self-worth, as in your confidence as well, but your actual worthiness, your personal brand goes up by 50% because you become a voice piece for your organization and from your in, for your industry. So if you get up and you answer a question about something, people go, wow, that's amazing. Or they say, I don't believe you. I know, but there's an interaction there, but you're on the stage. So you're instantly positioned as an authority. Now you could be the most knowledgeable person in the room, but unless you're on the stage, whoever is on the stage will own that room. So for many speakers, I've watched them, they're terrible at speaking, so they should learn with me how to do it properly, because I mean, I, I've just been at events where I would say 95% of the speakers could do with a crash course in engaging live audiences. Rather than just talking at them, you need to have a conversation with them. But if you can do that, then on an ongoing basis, the, the, the ROI of your company goes up by about 20% because you've got a leader driving it that people can see, but your own worth goes up 50%. Now, why should that be important to you? Well, first of all, as I said, it drives your relationship with your team. It drives your marketing. But if you do it right, you become unsackable. If you're not the owner of your company, you're the CEO, you leave a massive hole in the, spe- in the center of the company that in many cases they can't fill. And it also means that you can be headhunted. And this isn't just about leader speakers. This is about all the way up to the top. You can jump up a couple of levels by speaking because you're just more noticeable than everybody else. I mean, if I was to say to you about Apple, 
if you say to most people who's a, a CEO of Apple, they're going to say Steve Jobs. He's been gone about 10 years. But because he was so strong and associated with it, most people don't see, you know, that. is it that guy? I'm not sure, because they weren't as effective as a speaker, regardless of what you think of Steve Jobs. So speaking, I think, is the fastest, most effective way to get an audience to buy into you. It crystallizes your thoughts and it positions your personal brand as a business brand that everyone can buy into or go against, but it positions you. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, as he was talking, I, I remembered a, an individual reached out to me and I had not been in this company uh, for over, well over five years now. And they were asking if I would come back, (laughs) but that's what, that's it. To your point, um, I laid a stage and I was, um, I was just careful to make sure that everything I did was in line with what leadership looked like and felt like, because it's not just what it looks like, what it feels like. And once leaving that company, you leave this void. Now it's unintentional because I never want to leave a company with a void because there should be, my job is to make sure that someone can come back up and fill that. Unfortunately, my position was unique. And so nobody else could, uh, but, uh, to you, you know, just to your point leaders, if you're listening, the ability to harness speaking will make sure that you, and you say unsackable, which is right, uh, that you can not only retain your job, but make it uh, lucrative for someone else to get you on board. And so that's the the good thing about uh, being able to harness that. Now, speaking has different roles in people's lives, on our daily life, uh, our professional life, our, our personal lives. Uh, but what role does speaking have in the leader's ability to influence? Um, I think that it depends on... And we'll be talking again about influencing their team, influencing their marketing, or influencing at an event, because all of them are important. But every communication that you have starts in your own head first. So you're going to work out what you are, who you are, how you fit into the world. And then I would say the next question you've got to ask is what's in it for them? And then you've got to work out who the them is. Is it your team? Is it the world? Is it your, your, your clients, your sponsors? Is it people who are on the way up who need to be inspired? Work out what that is, and then you can have that whole thing relating to them. I think it. I think you have to create an ongoing dialogue with yourself. And being a leader can be very lonely because there's nobody quite sat with you. And because of the nature of social media, it's very easy, as you've seen with Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, who I mentioned earlier, that the closest person to you could be your own worst enemy at the drop of, of, of a hat. It could onto onto a pillow. It could be anything that happens. So you have to be sure in your own skin. It's like people say to me, Dave, why do you give so much away when you're when you're doing your stuff? Don't you want to hold something back? So why? Because right now, and it sounds arrogant, I don't mean it to be. I'm in a battle of me versus me, not anybody else. I don't see competition, not because I'm arrogant, it's because I'm on a one-person journey that ends at some point. And so many times I've been out on a limb doing my own stuff, but I think that part of this whole direction, and this is what holds people back, to stop seeing yourself as um, just a business person. If you really want to grow a brand around what you do, see what you do as art. You are an artist in what you do. So you're speaking as part of your art. 
What are you developing as part of your art? You could have a job that puts blooming plastic cups into plastic cups. How can you use art to make that better? Now, the easy thing is, you know, make it look better. Okay, that's one thing. What else can you do? We can change the system so they look a lot more effective. And they also so treat it like an art form. Just because here's the thing, right? We're, we're in a metaverse now, or we're not in a metaverse. We've kind of got one toe in, but people are saying, I can't see my toe. Yeah, you can see it. In that case, I'm not in a metaverse. NFTs at the moment of us doing this interview are still incredibly expensive, ridiculously expensive, even though the price is fluctuating on them. Now, what is an NFT? Ultimately, it's somebody going, why don't we get this non-fungible thingamy and make art out of it? So they've got these ridiculous bored apes and zombie faces and whatever it is, thug bits. And they're just pixelated rubbish, to be honest with you. But because they're assigned a value, they make people go, wow, because somebody's grabbed it as art and said, we can make this as a contract with a certificate that nobody else can own but these people. Now, here's the thing. If you look at Web three, Web 1.0, was people putting out a website and saying, look, I've got a website. And you go, oh, there's a website. They say, would you like a newsletter? You go, yes, great. And the newsletter arrives and it's about, you know, how to clean your sink. Great, I've got a newsletter from these people. Never, so it's rubbish and spam. But at the time, it seemed exciting. Web 2, 2.0 was all about platforms that were interactive. So the idea is that it was owned by certain Bond villains um, who then dictate what happens to the rest of the world. And you've got to interact in their world, but you don't own anything. The idea, and I don't think it's going to work out this way, with Web3 or 3.0, is that it becomes decentralized. So everyone owns everything. They can put NFT on, on their products, NFTs on themselves. So nobody can own anything. Um, but apart from when you started it, you own the original. So see that as the way that you should develop your company, your journey, your art, your relationships as art. And then it becomes more clear. And yes, you'll make a mess. And yes, people will think it's stupid, but they're not meant to get it. I mean, the most famous artist of them all, uh, Vincent van Gogh, was a manic depressive. And he carved his own ear. And he had everybody hated him. And we all said he was rubbish and he killed himself. Now they turn back and go, wow, that was amazing. If he had a Facebook group, that would never have happened. But mind you, if he had a Facebook group, Mark Zuckerberg would have owned him, his stuff of an NFT. So, you know, six and two threes. And I love that you mentioned uh, speaking as an art form because, you know, I, I, I recall going to a play and, you know, these are artists. They, they are actors and they're owning their, uh, their trade and they're presenting it before. And you actually tear up with emotion as the scenes go from one to the other and you're like, why am I so overcome by this emotion when I'm not even in there? This, I know this is fake, <laughs> right? But you, you, the art form, the artist pulls you in, into their world. And so that's what uh, you're talking about. And so leaders, if you're not taking the time, uh, and not, we're not saying you need to be an actor or anything like that, but you need to own your speaking to the point where you can pull people into your world, have them hear and see what you're seeing. And then that is truly where influence is really had. So, hey, when we get done with this, I'm going to give you some information on how to get with Dave 
but he can teach you that. And so I'm so happy, uh, Dave, that you bring that up as a, as a piece uh, that's integral to the leadership's uh, toolbox. You have to be able to bring this out to the point where people get caught in. And so when we're talking about leaders, individual leaders, you also do personal branding, speaking as the, as a way of putting yourself out there and putting your stake on the moon, if, if, if you will. So how can a leader boost their personal brand through speaking? Um, well, the fastest way to reach an audience is through speaking. But also, because speaking could be on video, it could be on podcast, it could be interviews like this. When you speak, it's so you that your message goes straight. It's the best way to communicate and send your message to people. And so your personal brand, is it should be created alongside whatever you do as a business. Because if you don't do it, somebody else jumps into that gap. As we've established, we're talking about Steve. Steve Jobs or many other people, you know, the, the important thing is that when you grow your, and people are scared of it, the old corporate world said, no, 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 you, you, you don't go out there and you don't make yourself visible. Okay, but you, you're not going to be with the company for 20 years. You're not going to be headhunted by that same company to be made managing director. You probably won't stay there or you shouldn't stay there longer than about two to three years anyway. So do you want it to be every time you look for a new job that you start off from scratch with every company? Or would you like it to be that people notice you? Now, here's the thing. And I've said this, I've done a number of HR conferences. And typically when I'm talking to HR people, a room full of HR people, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but they're incredibly smart people who for some reason don't use their teeth. So let me explain. It's like, um, it's like the accounts department for people. So in every company you've got accounts, but the HR is all the accounts, but about the people. But what they tend to do is they tend to be a little bit like, okay, yeah, we'll let it go. But they should be on the board of directors. They should be driving this. And if they don't drive it, somebody else drives it. Most HR directors are not allowed to be on the board because they're not seen as important, but they're driving the people. So it's the most important thing. So when it comes to branding, I've always said to HR directors, what you should do is take what they do in football. I'm sure it's true for American football and, and soccer. If you are a coach, your backroom team have already selected about five different people for each of the positions on your existing team. So if somebody disappears or goes injured, you have a number of backups that you can have. What HR don't do is make relationships with people who could back up for each of the people who have a job in their company because then if you lose anybody and it's a shame that they go, you just replace them with somebody else. Now, the way that happens is if the person has grown their brand, they become so visible that headhunters and HR people can see them. But HR people have to have the foresight to say, could we build a shadow team under here? And who would it be? And let's make contact with these guys just to say, hi, I think you're great. And uh, keep doing what you do. I don't think we've got any openings at our organization. You might not want one anyway, but let's just stay in contact. I think you do really good stuff. Now, that's a smart way to do business in the same way as when, like, for instance, you left your job. You mentioned that earlier, if I can mention that. So you leave your job and they, there's a big hole in their company where you are. And that's their fault. Why haven't they got you in a retainer? Why haven't they got you still in the brain trust? Why haven't they got you going out and selling their company to other people, even if you don't want to work there? Come back every now and again or on a commission basis. So anybody that you meet who's great for the company, you can say, you know what? 
I used to work for this organization. They'd be perfect for you. Let me make a phone call and introduce you. You guys have a chat. No obligation. Everybody acts like you're a leper when you leave the company. And that's more for you for all the, the HR people and all the leaders who take it personally when people leave. People will leave. They outgrow that job. So what you have to do is you have to grow your brand. As a leader, you've got to grow your brand. And if you're not a leader, but you want to be one, grow your brand. And I have conversations. I, was, I remember hosting a, a, a conference where lawyers were telling um, HR people, you own the LinkedIn for every employee working at your company. Now, I, I hosted the event because I was being paid, but I got so angry about the whole thing, going, no, it's their LinkedIn. It's not yours. Even if they leave, give them a restrictive contract so they can't do any business in the same vicinity for if, it, if it's a real conflict, but you don't own those contacts. During that time, they made that relationship. If you want a copy, have a copy. But there's no way you can turn around to somebody and fit them into a hole and say, you're the new person. We've seen it happen in sports. We've seen it happen in movies. It's not the same as the original. So go with it. And if you can, keep the original on board. So that's why that branding is so important for everybody. And I, I truly believe that, you know, you, you're talking about that. And I'm thinking 007, <laughs> an iconic position, right? And they bring in other people and some do great and some flop. Now, the, the last I happened to, you know, as a 007 spectator and, and lover, uh, the last guy that has played it for the last several years uh, has truly capitalized on his position and has, and, and yeah and 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 that's all you think about now i now i remember sean connery and i think he was the greatest one of all but you know the the new guy he has done such a great job in owning that that last movie that he put out the last one i was like what no no he can't no not him <laughs> don't take him out yeah, and we can't happened, but we know exactly what happened. But here's the thing. I remember Roger Moore being interviewed. And Roger Moore, if you ever get a chance to listen to him being interviewed, right up until his death, and he's about in his late uh, mid-80s, what a hilarious, funny, stand-up comedian kind of guy. Brilliant mind, really funny. And he said that when Daniel Craig got the role, it was like a shark had walked in the room. He was just, he, that's exactly who he was. And he was perfect for that time. I don't know what's going to come next. But here's the thing, we wouldn't have a James Bond if we hadn't had Roger Moore. I'm not saying he's my favorite, but James Bond had gone from a few misfires with um, uh, when we did uh, On a Majesty's Secret Service um, with, uh, what's his face? That's the guy who got one, George Lazenby. So George Lazenby came in and he was actually a very good Bond. And it was actually a really good movie. He wasn't a great Bond, it was a great movie. Um, but it wasn't quite right. And Sean Connery didn't want to come back. And so they threw in a guy who was actually perfect for The Saint, and he'd been in The Persuaders with Tony Curtis. And so we need to do something with James Bond. And Roger Moore made it funny and, and flippant. But in the times in the 70s, those are the kind of movies that people... He saved James Bond. Now, that became um, a, a shadow of, its, of, of itself later on when he's 50 years old, going after women about half his age, which we all would, but we'd never do. Um, but... Um, it just you look back and you just go, you shouldn't be doing that anymore, Roger. And he knew it. He was just taking the, the paycheck. Um, but then you had a Shakespearean actor, uh, Timothy Dalton, who tried to play it like Daniel Craig did, but the movies weren't that good for some reason. 
And then you've got Pierce Brosnan, who's the, the, the note perfect look, because he did that, that uh, uh, steel, Remington Steel show, and he should have been Bond, but he, they wouldn't let him out of his contract. So he had to wait another, another for Timothy Dalton to finish before he could go in years later. And he said, he, I mean, he loved it. Goldeneye was one of the best movies, but then they gave him crappy scripts. That last one where he's, he's surfing on the, that CGI, it was just awful. I thought he was great. I really loved him, but Daniel Craig was something special. But talking about the brand, here's the thing, because you said something about speaking earlier, and you said to, to, to um, leaders, you don't have to act. I disagree. I think you should act. I think you should act as if a leader, you should act as if you are the leader that you want to be. If you can't do it yourself, then if you can imagine what that leader should say, then be that person for that time. You've got it in you. You do it really well sometimes, but other times you don't do it. Act it all the time. and Or act it when you need to act it in front of public. And the, the, the leaders we remember are the ones who are better at doing that because they seem 360. They seem like every touch of them, that's the character you saw. And some of them are really flawed but that still adds to who they are. You know, so just act as if you're at the top of the food chain, ask yourself really difficult questions. And when you talked about my career earlier, I had no idea where it's going before. Now I kind of know, because I can, it's like I've got headlights that are switched on so I can see a bit in front of me, but who saw a pandemic? Certainly not me, you know? So it, it is what it is, which makes it exciting, scary at the same time. Well, yeah, I, and I agree. Now, I, I mentioned don't act because what I've seen in my on my side as a leadership development person is that some leaders just know how to act and they don't know how to be. You know, and so somehow along the line of leadership, you have. Yeah, some a lot of people start acting, but there has to be a transition from acting to being. And that transition is not often made. And that's why I mentioned that. <laughs> I understand that. I at the moment I have a I have a horrible fear for the world's safety at this moment in time. I think the leaders in charge of the world right now are some of the worst we've ever had. Now I had a conversation with somebody about this uh, yesterday, and he was saying, "Don't you think they're really, really, really bad?" I said, "Well, no, they've probably always been bad, but now they're on social media bad, so we get to see how bad they are." I mean, the Second World War happened, and I don't think it was because everyone was a really good, noble leader. There were a lot of idiots in charge. Not all of them, but there were a lot of them. The pandemic brought out the best of leadership in certain countries. And it was really ironic that for the age where we are right now, facing a global crisis, the women in charge did it better than any of the men, by far. So I worry about what people perceive as leadership because the old business model is now leading towards billionaires who have so much money, they're above paying taxes, I know I'm going political on this, above paying taxes, but I'm not worried if Elon Musk doesn't like me, above paying taxes, but also their power is so much that they can almost own a country, if not several. The reach and the footprint of Facebook is what, a billion, two billion people? That's not far off owning a region uh, of, of the world. You know, owning, a, a, what, what are called, um, region, um, what I'm thinking of. Anyway, owning a part of the world. You could own Americas, or you could own Europe, or you could own, what's the phrase I'm looking for? What, 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 continent. Is it continent? Anyway, you could own one of them because you've got so much clout. And what we've got there is people who are smart because they're inventors, but not really leader leaders. They've just got 
a really good path towards making the money. And suddenly they're telling the world how it should be. Now, here's the fact, and you probably came across this as well. And I work a lot with CIOs and I work a lot with the people in the engineering and IT in industries. Now, if you are a tech genius, the odds are you're not a people genius because there's a little bit of, of Asperger's or, or, or something in there of autism, a little bit at least, that means that you are focused on tech and ignore people because they don't interest you. Emotionally, all that baggage doesn't interest me. I'm interested in where this tech's going to go. And we've got these guys dictating where the world's going. So it doesn't surprise me that everyone's having a fight about social media. I want it to be free speech. Yeah, but if you do free speech, that means that all the, the, the cuckoo clans can go out and play. Yes, but at least they get to speak. Yeah, but the nature of social media is people go viral on two things. Things that make them angry and things that make them laugh. The stuff that's in the middle disappears because it, it doesn't go viral. So you're going to end up with the angriest person being the most famous. And we've already seen that visible means let's buy them in. So without going too far down the, the politics route, I won't mention the country, the Philippines. However, a country, which I won't mention, has just got the Marcuses back in again. After all the stuff that happened, 12 years martial law, plus followed by um, taking $12 billion out of the country, legging it to Hawaii. Now the sun's back in again because he did social media really well. And everyone's going, no, it's okay. And you go, so you can get with anything now as long as you own the voices and the platforms that people pay attention to. You can, you can say black is white, white is black, green is blue, and people go, okay. And I hate to say it, but that's exactly where it is. Now, this is why it all comes around to speaking because the fastest way to do it is to speak on a microphone, on a camera, on the internet, and amplify it by paying for bucks. Elon Musk can say anything, and it's world news, and he does, and it is. If he ends up in a court case about Twitter because he doesn't buy it in the end, oh dear, he goes down from $200 billion to maybe $175 billion. I'm sure he'll sleep well. So I think the, the branding, the speaking, we've never had a time it's more important, but I worry because too many cuckoo clocks are allowed to speak. But they have every right to do it. But here's the thing, we're talking about the original. I'm sorry, I'm sure you were gonna jump in because you, you can talk as much as me, but I'm just enjoying the fact you're listening to me. My wife doesn't listen, my, my, my daughter doesn't listen, and my mom definitely doesn't. So I think that for leadership, you have to have one thing in mind. Your legacy should leave a world better off than it was when you entered the world. That's it. Not leave you better off. Not leave your family better off. Leave the world better off. And if that's not what your, your job as a leader is, then you shouldn't be in that job. I totally agree. You know, and I've often told leaders that their influence does not just reside in their job at their job site. Because if I'm truly a leader of the people, then I will influence even their household. I mean, I will give them something to think about that they'll take back home and say, we got to make some changes. We've been doing it all wrong, right? And so that's truly how leadership should be influencing. It should be influencing the world, not just where you are. Now, you know, leaders have a lot to learn in regards to speaking, and so what top tips do you have for leaders regarding speaking? Okay, jump and grow wings on the way down. Start with that. 
I mean, every speaker, I, I, I've been on a number of panels with other speakers telling people how we should learn to speak. And my jaw drops. I'm looking around, you know, practice, practice, practice. Have a script in front of you. Learn the script. Memorize it. No, shut up. You know what you do for a living. Work out the best potted, simple way to get what you have in here across to the other person in the way that they want to hear it. That's your job as a leader when you communicate. So don't go too tech unless it's tech people. Don't go too complex unless it is, is complex people. If you talk to a range of people, then make it so everyone can take out of it what they need to take. A simple answer for this is the most successful by far broadcaster of our generation and most generations was Oprah Winfrey. How many big words can you name that Oprah Winfrey ever used? She never did that. She simplized. If anyone wants to say, yeah, but she covered that smart, uh, $4 billion as a TV presenter, I think she's pretty smart. So whenever you watched her, whether she was old, young, fat, thin, which could happen the next day, because you get these streamed versions of the show, you could find it accessible. She had massive empathy. And she had a way of getting things dumbed down and so simple that anybody would find that stuff accessible. And she didn't mind turning around to any guest who made a statement and she'd say, I'm sorry, I'm really stupid. What did you mean by that? And they then have to be able to say it in a way that she would get because she understood the people at home. Go, oh, thank you, Oprah. We'll watch you tomorrow. You are us. You are the eyes and ears of us. And that's what every leader has to understand. And so... Oprah, the weird thing about Oprah is she's a massive introvert. She hates audiences. She hates speaking in front of audiences. She's really, really shy. And so a lot of the time when she's holding on to people and giving them a hug, she actually doesn't like being in front of that audience. But that holding on to people, if you watch her body language, somebody who's upset or somebody who comes onto the stage or somebody she's talking to, she normally touches them about five or six times just to let them know, you know, that I'm with you. And that means they open up because it's it's tapping. It's it's like almost hypnosis and and, and uh, I was going to say EFTs, but that sounds like NFTs now. So uh, if, if you've never done EFT, you know what I'm talking about. So find the best way to communicate, but wear a different hat for the audience in front of you. Because whether you're talking to kids or whether you're talking to grown-ups or business people, and I host all these events. I I'm going to do a huge I um, um, metaverse event this weekend. I've just done a huge um, CabSat, which is broadcasting communication tech event. Uh, and I've got numerous things, golf food and all sorts I'm going to be hosting in the, in, the, in the coming months and so on. Every single audience is different. So my job is to find the Wi-Fi code of that audience. And it doesn't matter whether I know what I'm talking about, because I'm not the expert. The person I'm interviewing is the expert. I've just got to ask them questions that bring out the best if I ask them a question and they answer it and I'm happy that the audience is going, that's okay. And all I hear is la, 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 because I don't understand the word that they're saying, but I've done my job. You know, my job is to hold up a mirror and if they want to lie to the mirror or tell the truth to the mirror, that's my job. And that's one of the few things I actually got from working at the BBC. And there's not much <laughs> more I got from working there in the early days. Um, so I think your, your job is to connect with people. So... Also, basic tips as a speaker, which isn't necessarily a leader, but just things that might make your life easier. Start with the fact that get the audience to trust you. 
be like them, get the Wi-Fi code. Remember, you train them or they train you. You've got to go out there and own the audience or the audience will own you. And if they own you, they'll, they'll get you to want to sit down and wish you'd never been there. So um, they have no idea what you haven't said. So if you miss a whole chunk of your presentation, then that's fine. Nobody's going to know at all. Because what people do is they connect dots that don't fit and go, oh, okay, you know? And so if you're, if you're a leader that's scared about going on stage, what every speaker does, and I laugh at it because it's ridiculous, is they go out and speak by starting to talk about who they are and what they do. And that's just a ridiculous thing because you, unless your audience is like, see the pitch, they're not paying attention to you at all. They're busy on the phone or chatting to their friends or finishing up a cigarette or grabbing a coffee or just finishing something. Then they look after about 30 seconds of you being on stage. They've missed the title of your presentation. They've missed a hello. They've missed all that stuff. So your job is to get everybody at the right point. So here's one of the things that I do. In seven seconds, I can get the audience exactly what I want, exactly where I want them to be. I'll go out and say, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Oh, come on. We can do much better than that. Let's do it again. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. And they say, good evening. And then I say, great. My name is Dave Crane. I want to share with you a, a lot of ideas that I think will really help your business. Now, that first bit I did there looks like some kind of pantomime act, but it's not. I haven't burned any of my material while I got them to pay attention to me. By saying, good evening, everybody, good evening, I'm actually teaching them to say good evening back. If I said, good evening, everybody, what are we going to say back? Oh, if I say, good evening, everybody, good evening, it teaches them, does he want us to say good evening back? Is that what they want? So then I break the, th the fourth wall, which in that, that TV show, um, what's it called with Kevin Spacey, who shouldn't be allowed near people anymore? What's the, what's the one he was in? Um, where he used to talk to the camera. Um, and you know where he's a president of the United States. Oh goodness, what's it called? Um, I'm going to Google it now, which is really bad TV or really bad interviews. But Kevin Spacey, president, and it will be worth it because people can then look it up if they haven't seen it before. And it was the House of Cards, right? So House of Cards, Kevin Spacey. The best bit in it was when he would talk to camera. He'd break the fourth wall. So he's, he's acting in a, in a scene and he turns to camera and say, I know you don't like him either. And you're wondering why I'm humoring him because I'm going to do something now that's going to ruin his life and guarantee I get to the top of the food chain. Watch this. And then you go back into the scene and you, you couldn't take your eyes off that, that breaking the fourth wall. It's fascinating. You never see it on TV. Like I've been trying to figure out cuffs. I don't know if you ever saw cuffs years ago with, with uh, Christian Slater. He used to do that all the way through. Brilliant. Uh, nobody else remembers it, but I remember because uh, I'm really old. But so that second bit, come on, we can do it better than that, is full on breaking the fourth wall, talking to the audience. We're not going to carry on until you've done it properly. And then you go, good morning, everybody. I'm doing the arms. Good morning or good evening. Then they say good evening back and then you thank them. Now, what you've set up there is a, a feedback loop. I'll explain exactly what feedback loop is. You've said, I know what I'm doing. I'm not starting until, I've, um, until we're ready. You've also said, um, you've also worked out that when they go good morning back the second time, that's the maximum noise you're going to get out of that audience all day. You'll never get them higher than that because that's you forcing them to have to play ball. So later on, when you're teaching them some, some difficult theory, and you should always have rhetorical questions, so 
when you speak to people, it's like having a conversation, but they're not allowed to have it, say anything back. Because I don't have questions until the end of it, because otherwise they take my head goes on holiday. So when you when you say, has everybody got that? Has everybody got that? Yes. You've taught them at the very beginning that you want that feedback. And it's not cheap and it's not nasty because I do have a room full of managing directors and they're so glad that I've run the room properly. It hasn't been that they've gone to a kid's pantomime or seen a kid's clown. They've got somebody who knows how to run a room properly. Now, if you're in a boardroom, I know the, LA, the, the, the CEOs and leaders are going to say, no, no, Dave, well, that's great for if you're doing a conference, but what if you're in a, in a boardroom? Here's how you do this in a boardroom, in a formal setting. You say, is everybody okay? Can we begin? Oh, sorry, sorry. So, uh, good afternoon. Is everybody ready? Shall we begin? That's it, the three things. So good, good afternoon, everybody. Is a chance for them to say good afternoon back. Is everybody ready? Give them a chance to say, no, I just need to do something. And if they go and do something, you get it back. Is everybody ready now? Yes, we are. Shall we begin? Yes, we shall. Those are the three stages. So when you've finished your audience, and this is a massive tip, I don't mind sharing it because I'm a very giving guy. At the end of your presentation, you finish it off by saying, and here's, I'll, go, I'll throw this at you, Enrique. It's a question. I know you, as an as a excellent speaker, you'll know it, but I don't know. If that, so I'm going to test you, and you might edit this out. And so I'm going to go la, 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 all the way through until you. So here's the thing. How do you finish off a, a speech to get a guaranteed uh, round of applause from everybody? I let them know that their time was valuable to me. And I thank them for giving it to me. That's, that's almost a perfect answer. Almost a perfect answer. You get them to thank themselves. So you've been an amazing audience. Give yourselves a massive round of applause. Now, if they hate you, doesn't matter. You've been an amazing, you've been an amazing audience because I've just realized that this is the hardest gig I've ever done. I walked in, everybody had a, a white hood on and a torch, and I realized it was going to be tough. Now, I've said a lot of things and you didn't like it, but you know what? I've learned so much from doing that gig. So as a result of that, give yourselves a massive round. You've been amazing. I'll, I've learned so much. Like I'm going to shoot my agent, but I'll learn so So they clap for themselves and not you, which means they'll always clap. Because most speakers are petrified by that judgment they get at the very end of walking off in silence. And I watch it. I'm like, you know, well, how did it go? And it doesn't matter how it went. If you've got a round of applause, you send a message to the audience. That at the end of everything, they still clapped. You send a message to yourself that I can still come out of it with a round of applause. And you send a message to people that are booking gigs that this person went down better than everybody else. Because in a boring conference, they're the only ones got a round of applause. Now, here's where it gets really exciting. You start off with the ability to train your audience and get them to respond to you at one side. Then you finish off with a round of applause. Unless you have a, a, a presentation all about standing on kittens, you can't mess up badly enough to ruin those two things. So your presentation doesn't, it doesn't have to be amazing. It can suck a little bit. As long as you engage the audience and you're still with them and ask them questions and teach them stuff and ask them if, if they understood that, you know that this is taken care of at both sides of your presentation. What's the, what, what can you get wrong? Now, most people don't know that bit. They don't know that bit. And they hope that somewhere in that, that speech, they've got something to inspire people. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But with my presentations, I don't care. I don't even look at my presentations half the time. I only look at them to remind myself what I was talking about, to stay on track so I don't start talking about shopping or, or, or other stuff in the middle of it. 
because your job then is to know your material and be an expert, or you shouldn't be on that stage, but to engage the audience. Because if you're talking to the audience, you're going to speak in a way that they are. If we're all women, you talk like women. If you're all if, if you're all senior directors, you talk like senior directors. You do it so the Wi-Fi code is congruent with who they are. And if you do it, even the things that we just I've just shared now, the last seven minutes of me talking, you do that and you'll never worry about a gig again. Because once it's over, it's over. I've done horrible gigs before, awful gigs. That 45 minutes later, as I, the worst gig I've ever done was one of the world's best auditing firms. I won't say who they are, but we do start with a K. So they brought me on stage and the, 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 the managing director, the CEO, regional big boss said, ladies and gents, put your hands together. We've got Dave Crane. So, you know, read out my blurb, Dave Crane's done this, done that, that. I walked out silence. Now the hardest audience to please, apart from doctors, who, are, who used to use saying, my, my leg's fallen off. Okay, let me have a look at your leg. No, no emotion, nothing. They don't care. Uh, they do care, but they, they just don't show it. So auditors are worse. They're not going to clap because their job is to walk into a company and say, you're all rubbish, suck half the stuff and give me the profits. That's what they do for a living. Not quite that, but you know what I mean? So I had to then go out to this room full of auditors and I tried that original thing I showed you there. Good evening. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. I'll come on. We do better than that. And I realized it wasn't going to work because they're not going to join in. But I also realized that I was the first speaker. So if I'm going to let them have a successful afternoon, it's my job to leave them in a way that's better off than it was when I first arrived. So what I did was I said, right, I'm not going to do that again like this. It's not going to work. Let's have an exercise in clapping. So I took them through an exercise, split the room into two halves. I've got team number one to outclap team number two and stand up. And this is how you get a round of applause and then standing innovation. Sit down. Let's do it together. OK, let's do the whole thing again. And I walked off the stage. And I got my microphone. So ladies and gentlemen, we've got Dave Crane on now. Start to give a massive round of applause. So I walked on and half of them stood up and gave me a round of applause. The other ones like that because that's what they do for a living. From that point on, I was able to do the gig. Now, the gig was challenging because they just didn't give a lot of love back. But at the end of it, I, I, had, I, was, I was coming off a little bit deflated because I know how good it should have been. Big audience, but I know it was a tough particular audience. And so the big boss came up to me and said, it was amazing, what a great presentation. And I said, yeah, but they didn't really respond much. He said, are you kidding? They normally walk out. So every audience is different depending on who you're talking to. Just take it for what it is and enjoy the ride. Absolutely. What a what a story. Right. But hey, it goes back to a point you made earlier. Know your audience. Right. When you're speaking, yeah, it's your job to know who you're presenting to so that you, you don't find yourself. Because believe me, I've been deflated on several occasions and it's all because I did not know that this was their normal. This is this is how actually they show love. Right. The five love languages. One of them is like this. You know, and 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 you just don't know. So make yourself uh, a little a little lighter, make yourself your life a little easier by knowing your audience. I love it. Now, um, Dave, know, know your audience before you arrive. Ask the bookings people, the events managers or the decision makers who's in the room. Have they had speakers before? How well did it go down? What was the objective you want at the end of it? How will you tell if it's worked or not? And what is your maximum affordable investment for my time? Now, if you've been paid in advance, as I always do, I never go on after, I never chase up money afterwards. I'm paid before I go on. If I've been paid for doing that gig and everybody hated me, okay, 
that's fine. I've been paid. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm rubbish. I'm brilliant at what I do. But at the end of it, you sometimes you have to have a win-win that works. You gave, like, for instance, if you go to a concert and you didn't like any of the songs that they played, or you have a meal and you didn't enjoy the meal, you can't turn around and kick off necessarily. You ate the meal. I didn't like it, but you were at every bit. You had seconds. Yeah, but it was a horrible seconds. Huh? You get my point. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you know, you, you we're coming to the end of this conversation, which I have thoroughly enjoyed uh dave not only with what i've watched and how i how much i've followed you but all the things that you've shared uh today have been invaluable to a leader trying to learn how to speak and use their speaking as a way of and you know increasing their stake in whatever they're doing so if you had one opportunity to tell a leader one thing they need to do today what would that be can I have two things? First one is um, give it your best. And you might mess it up, but that's fine. Jump and grow wings on the way down. And the second thing is care about the people in front of you. Think, ask yourself a question, which is this one. What's in it for them before you speak? What's in it for them? Always, always what's in it for them. If you give them what they want, then they will love you and they'll do anything for you. But you've got to make sure that you're happy in your own skin first. And the two don't necessarily, you've got to get the two aligned. And we don't necessarily fit together easily. Because here's the thing that's a shocker for most people. When you talk about Mother Teresa, you know, she's the most saintly person we've ever had on, on our earth. Did you know that she was an atheist by the end of it? She hated her life. Because she asked herself those questions. If God really exists, why is he putting me through this? And why does he have so many people going through this really challenging time? And I'm going to upset some people. Just Google it. You'll, and, and don't write me because I don't want to know. Um, but if you're dealing with all this poverty and all the rest of it, and the big challenge is, and I'm never going to beat Mother Teresa, but here's the thing. She didn't have any space for her. She should have had a Mother Teresa area around her where she could go there and be herself and not just give, give, give. So it's like when you're on a plane and, and the, in the old days when you didn't have a video doing it, you had an air stewardess saying it, um, through a mask, but the saying to you, if the oxygen mask passes, uh, comes down, put it on yourself before you attend to anybody else. There's a good reason for that. Because if you're with your kids and you put it on your kids because you want to defend them, if smoke breaks out and you pass out, your kids can't get you off a plane, you both die. If you can put it on yourself first, then you can carry your kids off to safety. Now, the same is true in almost every walk of life. Sort your own act out first. Not saying you should fill your pockets full of everybody else's money, but you need to work out your own game, your own acts, your own, your own demons, your own personal developments, and see yourself as creating the best, the perfect beast, the best vehicle you could drive on your adventure in, and realize that some of your staff are just going to drive in the car with you, some will run alongside your car. Some will get to a crossroads and go in a different direction and never see them again. And some might meet you at the finishing line. That's life. Everybody's a traveling partner. When people are leaving, they might not leave because they hate you or hate the company. Maybe it's just their time to go. So chill with it, but do the best that you can. And love people. Always leave them better off than they were before you met them in the first place. So that's uh, amazing advice there to give and and yes both of them 
uh, should be employed, right? You, you have to give yourself some grace, and you have to know yourself. You have to know yourself uh, before you try to tell somebody else uh, what they should do. <laughs> so, Dave, if someone wanted to get a hold of you for your speaking or training or just communicating, getting you as a, as a, as a person to get them on the right track, how would they do that? Um, go to speak, connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on LinkedIn because I do more stuff on LinkedIn than anywhere else. Most of the other platforms are too fluffy and I'm only on them because I feel I should or because my daughter's on them, but I don't understand half of them. So LinkedIn's the one I kind of get because it's like Facebook in a suit. It's really boring, but it's got some good stuff in. So connect with me there, follow my stuff because I post almost every day. Um, and also go to speakonstage.com where you'll find out about how to be a great speaker, how to join Game Changers, which is our community of people around the world who are all leaders and decision makers who I, I train as a group and they help each other to grow into a really powerful force. And it's, it's only about getting people to be um, great in what they do and happy in their own skin because I didn't have a group that could help me when we went into the pandemic. I decided to build my own. It's a membership, Game Changers. You can find that on speakonstage.com. But if you want to work with me directly, whether it's for your speaking or it's for your branding, I've got a thing called the Industry Icon Program. And the Industry Icon Program has been developed to help people to go from where they are to where they need to be. The idea is that rather than becoming a celebrity like a Kardashian, where you're famous for being famous, you actually become a celebrity in your own industry because you're very good at doing it. So there's six stages, which I'll talk through very quickly so you get the idea. The first one is awareness. You work out, this isn't right. I'm not happy where I am. I need to be doing something better. Then you aspire to being better. You look around, you see what other people are doing and say, that's kind of what I want. Then you start driving, creating your brand, your social media, working towards it. And, and, and you, you do it on a daily basis because you know kind of where you want to be. And it's not where you've left. And then you've got to position yourself. Once you start positioning, you go, right, I'm doing all this stuff. I don't need that. I, don't, I need to pull focus and just do something more in the direction to the people that I want to reach. Then you start refining it because you've got something and you think, this is working really well. I want to make sure that this is automated and make sure that I've got the biggest possible reach and I can speak on stages, which you should do all the way through that curve. And then you own at the very end. When you're an industry icon, you own your industry. So your name becomes a verb. So ultimately, when people say about doing a Mark Zuckerberg, good or bad, everyone knows kind of what that means. Or you say being a Steve Jobs or doing a, a, a Oprah on TV. When you become a verb, you're an industry icon. And everybody I work with, I work towards getting them from wherever they are to being somebody who on their journey, people recognize and go, I love what you do and I want to follow you. And that's a bit that's missing for most leaders because they can go out and do the job but they've got no protection because they've got no brand and they've got no guarantee that they're going to get another job. If you're the, if you're the, the current boss of, of, of Coca-Cola and you lose your position, you're the ex-boss of Coca-Cola, which means that nobody cares, no offense to Coca-Cola, but nobody cares what you're doing now unless you've built up a brand that sits alongside Coca-Cola so everybody knows. Richard Branson can do anything. He's still Richard Branson. Elon Musk has a number of different companies. He's still Elon Musk. So build your brand so your name is known and do it while you're working at that company because you've got eyeballs on you. The minute you leave, you're just another person. So Industry Icon helps you to grow your, your materials and your brand so therefore you've got a legacy and you can help inspire. 
absolutely amazing. And folks, we're going to have that as part of the show notes and the video so you can be able to get a hold of Dave. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for uh, being with me today, sharing the knowledge that you did. I'm sure that there's a lot of leaders out there that are going to be inspired and uh, better by listening to this. And so, folks, if you've enjoyed this episode and learned something interesting about the topic covered today, make sure to subscribe and let us know by leaving a comment right now. And we're always looking for new ideas and guests that can add to our show. So if you know someone or have a topic that you would like featured on the podcast, we'd love to hear about it by emailing us at triadleadershipsolutions at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode where we dissect leadership from another angle. And as we like to end the show, success to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Triad Leadership Solutions and on Twitter at TLS underscore FL. Thanks again. I'll see you next week and success to you.